Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me, as always, is Caleb Jenks. Today is Sunday evening, May 16th, and we are talking about how do you write a church doctrinal statement. Now, I know how exciting that's going to sound to some of you, because number one, good portion of you are like, well, what's church? And then there are some more of you that are like, well, I just go there. I don't know. What's a doctrinal statement? Well, your church has one. Uh, it'd probably be a good idea to get that thing and read it, uh, see exactly what your church believes, especially if you go there or maybe if you're a member. But Caleb had some questions about this tonight, and we were chit-chatting about it, so we decided to just make a podcast of it and go for it here. So how do you write a church doctrinal statement? And with that, uh, Caleb, do you want to tell us a little bit about where you came up with this idea as I try to share this around and try to get us some viewers? Yeah, well, the, the idea kind of evolved as the evening progressed because uh, the original idea kind of was how do you come up with a doctrinal statement as a Christian more so than even just as a church, which I, I think these two ideas go hand in hand as far as, as a, as a, as a Christian, it's a good idea to have a doctrinal statement, whether your church does or not. Um, but then obviously it kind of begs the question of how would you, how would you format one of these for your church? So um, my, my question initially came from, from the, the thought process of what is the most important things that you believe? How do you categorize those? How do you simplify it? Where do you start as a believer that doesn't really think much about doctrine and is more uh, more into the the practice and the practicality of of Christian living, uh, spirit, the spiritual life? And does this matter? Does what you believe matter? And where do you start? And so I just told Patrick, hey, I think it'd be a, a fun topic to to talk on because it's something that can seem like a daunting task, and and or you just adhere to what somebody tells you to believe one or the other. Mm -hmm. So it should be a fun, fun topic to get on. I think Patrick and I both fall into kind of a, a little bit of a peculiar uh, category where uh, neither of us, I don't know if it's by choice or by what um, personality types, neither of us necessarily ever really feel like we fit in a hundred percent anywhere that we go. And I've come to the conclusion, I'm not going to speak for Patrick, but I've come to the conclusion that I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't, I, I don't really care if I fit in 100% wherever I go, uh, but where do you where do you draw those lines as far as uh, is it okay to not fit in? Should you be fitting in? And and uh, what's what's a healthy what's a healthy level of of diversity within a church? And then what's unhealthy when it comes to diversity? When you have whole different beliefs than somebody else, how do you how do you uh, keep that in a healthy, healthy place where you're not cramming your beliefs down their throat, so to speak. So I, there's different, different directions we could go with it, but that's kind of my thought behind the, the topic. Well, let me just tell you, if fitting in was important, then I've been doing this thing wrong my entire life. So <laughs> I hope that fitting in is not an issue. I will tell you this, Caleb, because I have gone to lots and lots of churches. Uh, the reason for that is after I left a church that I was a part of for many years, we were looking for a new church. And the fact was, we, as a family, we weren't just looking to pick the first church that we visited and say, okay, this is our next you know, home. Let's just grow up here and bring our kids here. Right. It, it was important for us to find a place that we felt comfortable at. 
So we visited, I mean, just dozens and dozens of churches, wherever our friends invited us to go and visit. And then we, you know, we tried to look up ones that we thought we were going to be more comfortable at. And we visited those. And we, we even visited some where, I, you know, I told my wife when she was like, uh, hey, you know, maybe we should uh, try this one. What's her name is inviting us to go. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to hate that church. We went anyhow. <laughs> We did, uh, you know, and there are plenty of them where I, I said that I was like, you know, I'm not going to fit in there. They're not going to like me. I'm not going to like them. I'm not going to like what they teach. It's just, it's not the right place. Well, the reason I can tell you that is because I know what that church believes and I know what I believe. And I'll tell you what, if you're a Christian and you can't make those two declarative statements, I know what I believe and I know what my church believes. Uh, either number one, you are a lukewarm Christian or number two, you just never really thought about it. Uh, but it's important. You need to, because you are going to have problems at some point and it would be better if you just knew what you believed and what your church believes and figured that out and figured out if you were or were not compatible early on rather than several years later. I always tell, you know what I always tell this to Caleb, young couples that are dating and they think they're going to get right. married. I say, look, and I, I, I had a friend tell me to do this a while ago. She suggested that I print out or at least brainstorm, you know, 50 questions to ask a prospective spouse. And I really respected this lady. And I was like, you know what? That's a great idea. And she said, look, Patrick, here's the deal. You're going to have these conversations with your spouse sooner or later. So you might as well have them before you get married and figure out if this is not the one. And so I, like, I don't know what your list genius. is, but I can, I can add two things to that list. Okay. Personal experience. <laughs> okay. Add circumcision and nativity scenes to the list. <laughs> Okay, those are two things my wife and I wished that we would have discussed before we got married. But the thing is, is no matter how much you try to discuss and, and figure stuff out, there's going to be things yeah. you discover about somebody along the line that's like, whoa, you believe that or you don't believe this? Yeah. So at least getting a head start on uh, at least kind of trying to find out if you have any common ground is, is would be a good idea. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll open up the list and I'll edit that you'll, document you'll, tonight. Yep. Circumcision nativity. and nativity scenes that I'll put those as <laughs> questions. Number one and two. <laughs> yeah. That and Bible names for our boys. That was another thing I wanted to have Bible names for the boys. And she was uh, not as, as big on that because most but, of her friends, she grew up in a church where everyone had Bible names. And so of course they were all the good boy names were used up and everybody, you know, there's 10 Peters and 10 Marks and <laughs> whatever. Here's the deal with names. Just let the husband decide. <laughs> well, see, that's, I tried to tell her that before. That's what like, it comes down this, to. Why don't we just have this agreement that that if uh, if it's not important and I don't care, then we'll go with your opinion. But if we if if we disagree on it and it's important to me, then let's just go with mine. But that that's easier said than done for some reason. So yeah. Anyways, all right. So uh, church doctrinal statements. <clears throat> so Caleb, you had a couple of questions for me because you were thinking about this, talking about this, something. I wasn't really paying attention. Refresh my refresh my memory. Tell me well, where this came think, from and what we're doing. Yeah. So the uh, well, we can go a hundred different ways with this, but yeah. one of the one of the big questions that I would say, as far that to be helpful and keep this simple, to where we're not just diving into deep theology with with mm -hmm. it, is where would you where would you just begin to draw the map as a as a believer that's been in church for years mm -hmm. and quite frankly don't have a clue what you believe. Because, I mean, to be honest, 
and and oftentimes I feel bad because I feel like we kind of we we poke fun at Christians that don't know what they believe on here. We often. do. I mean, we we really do. And I've thought the same thing. I'm like, God help the Christian that is just starting out and is totally ignorant. You know, we're we're not trying to make fun of those people. What we are doing <clears throat> is we are joking around about the Christian that has been raised in church. They've been in church you know, their whole life and they still have no idea what they're doing. And those are a lot of times Christians that just are not, they're kind of apathetic. I mean, let's face it. If you were raised in church and you're 40 years old and you still don't know what you believe or what your church believes, you're doing something wrong. Okay. It's just, it's not working. You well, or you're, or you're doing, different. you're doing what you've been told, which depending on your church, maybe just do what we say. Sure. Uh, and if, and don't, don't try to think for yourself or, or else uh, you get the yeah. act. So of course, yeah, we, we poke fun at each other and, and hopefully Patrick said something to me earlier about the fact that I'm always poking fun at Baptists. I was like, wait, do I poke mm -hmm. fun at Baptists? And then I, I got off the phone. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I, I tease Patrick about the fact that he's still a Baptist that's, and I'm a Baptist. waiting, yeah, waiting, waiting to find out when that's going to change because he's yeah. not really, he's not really a Baptist. But it's getting more complicated as the years go by. He's now a Baptist with I'm not sure what all, all kind of subcategories he he had added onto that recently. <laughs> I, I say I'm a Baptist with messianic leanings. So do other Baptists not believe in the Messiah? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I I'm, most you, Baptists you, did. Okay, first of all, you know what I meant. I meant messianic Jewish leanings. Yeah. I know. So yeah. So. But well, that's not so what basically, we're getting into. Basically, and, we can just we can just for short, he's a messy Baptist. <laughs> He's a Baptist and it got messy. No, That's but really but where, good. But where where does it, where where is it important? Where can you? I mean, Patrick and I are great friends. We don't have everything in common, but we I feel mm -hmm. like that we do have this mind in us which was in Christ Jesus, and that and and that's what brings us that common ground that that like mindedness, even if we disagree mm -hmm. on some some issues. But so where do where do you start? Are you afraid to? And I, I think a lot of a lot of friends that I've talked to about this are really afraid to venture out into thinking for themselves, discussing what they what they actually believe, reading the Bible in a critical way because they feel that it would somehow they would be going against the authority of their church they would be going against what they've been taught and and so a lot of their christian life is really all built upon other people's idea ideas and and what they've told them as far as how to apply the bible so where do you start when you're at that point where you've never really ventured beyond what somebody else agreed with and how can you learn to be okay with disagreeing with somebody without just throwing the baby out with the bathwater i mean that's kind of for me it would yeah. be kind of the, the obvious first place to start Okay. A lot of good questions there. The first thing that I would do is I'd respond with this question. Caleb, when you die, who are you going to stand before? Christ. Okay. God. Are you going right. to stand before your pastor or the deacon board or your church doctrinal statement? Is Jesus going to read that to you when you die and stand before well, him? Hopefully, the... <laughs> hopefully they'll be there to hold my hand, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's something I always try to remind everyone of is that at the end of the day, you can be a good, obedient Christian on a desert island with nothing but you and the Bible. Now, it would be hard to have some good Christian fellowship on that island, but the fact is you could be close to God. Paul was close to God without a Bible in jail. So th that can be done. Number two, disagreements, for some reason, seem to have this idea. And I think it's especially today. Nowadays, people, what do you always hear people say? Well, I don't like discussing this and this. What are the two things people don't like discussing in mixed company or in public? Politics and religion. 
politics and religion. And right. the reason is because they know there's going to be differences and they don't want to have them because they think right. if there's a difference or there's conflict or there's a difference of opinion, there's going to be then a little bit of a friends. discussion right. or argument. Yeah. Then everything's over. And it's like, no, all we're doing is teaching people to be bad at talking about religion and politics by right. avoiding it. So I don't see a problem with discussing our differences uh, theologically, uh, right. it scares the socks off of me when I walk into a room and everyone is dressed exactly the same and they all believe exactly the same and they all act exactly the same. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Uh, where are the rattlesnakes we're going to be handling? And, uh, you know, what flavor Kool-Aid do we drink, you know, <laughs> at the right. potluck? So <clears throat> I always, that always scares me because I know that's not reality. People don't naturally end up that way. They're they're forced into that position, um, and, and and we see that in the Bible. How many times did Peter and Paul and Barnabas and Mark and all of these guys in the New Testament church? How often did all of these guys disagree? And sometimes they had such a knockdown, dragout fight that they didn't talk for years. And then we see later also in the Bible, and the Lord shows us this, that they made up and they figured out where they were wrong and they apologized and they came together. And, and it was a great thing. The right. idea that we disagree is not a problem. I have lots of friends, Christian friends that go to different churches that I will never go to because of what they teach. And I think it's, it, it's, it's either unbiblical. It's, it's just flat out silly, but that doesn't mean that they're not my friends and I can't talk to them about it. But your question really came down to more of where do we draw the line as far as the church that we're in? And he, here's the thing. I don't, oh, can we, can we back up and can we start a little bit further back? Okay. Let me ask you this question. What doctrine should be written down in the church doctrinal statement. Because you can you can sit down and you can read, you can write volumes of books on doctrine from the Bible, right. but we don't. Usually right. a church doctrinal statement is how it's many pages? pages. Right. You got it's it. It's pages. a few pages. If you want something else that scares me, Caleb, is when I ask for a church doctrinal statement and it's and like 20 you pages. You got <laughs> it. Like, I'm like, um, if whoa. I wanted that, I would just, I would go to the Mormon yeah. church and get the book of Mormon handed yeah. to me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's just redo so, the, reinvent the wheel here. So what doctrine should be written down in the church doctrinal statement? If you had to give me your top three, what are the top three things that you want to see on a church doctrinal statement? What do you think? Well, I would say, um, Christ, who Christ is, is mm -hmm. important. Um, and the... And then salvation would be number two. I mean, you can't have salvation unless you first agree on who Christ is. And then I would say, um, and this really goes along with that as well, would just be the, the authority of the Bible. Those would probably okay. be my top three if I was to if I was just to pick three off the cuff. Yeah. And honestly, Caleb, you hit my three as well. The I, I was going to say number one was salvation. Number two is that the Bible is uh, written by God. It's not a book about God. It is a book written by God. Right. But here's the thing. See, I wouldn't have said Jesus and who he is and that he's God because I lumped that in with salvation because that's part of salvation. If someone doesn't believe Jesus is God, well, guess what? You can't get saved. Right. 
okay, the, the Romans were crucifying hundreds of people every day of the week. What's one right. more guy? Okay, that guy isn't any special. Uh, he's not special unless he was God. That's the only, right. you know, every guy they crucified couldn't save your sins uh, or save you from your sins. Only one could, you know, it had to be God's blood that was shed on that cross. But either way, even if we want to say, mean, even if we want to break that down, I'm totally good with that. One, two, three, I'm, I'm in lockstep. Okay. Yeah. After that, well, okay. Which, so be, okay, which to be clear, uh, almost all yeah. Christians, no matter no matter your denomination, almost all mm. of us really do agree on those issues. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, there's there's a, there's the outliers, but for the <laughs> most part, we all agree. We all agree that Jesus was born of a virgin. We all mm. agree that he was uh, that he that he was crucified. That he atoned. Mm. That that his blood atones for our sins on the cross. Mm. I mean, even Catholics do believe in this, even though it gets very complicated. But um, even we we believe in uh, the the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Most of us do. Some people only believe in a spiritual re resurrection, which is very problematic. If you don't believe in, in an weeds, actual, man. yeah. <laughs> but so the these are these are all these are all uh, things that across the board. If you go to the Methodist Church, if you go to the Baptist mm -hmm. Church, if you go to the the Catholic Church, um, a lot of us on when you when you brush broadly across some of these core issues, most of us all agree mm -hmm. on these issues, and then it gets complicated from there. In that it's like, well, if you really believe that, then do you also believe that you pray to Mary? I mean, because if your salvation comes through Jesus and you do, you know, so of course then it gets complicated. I'm not, I'm not here just to bash the Catholics and pick on them. They're just yeah, easy. And, and They're soft Caleb, target. Caleb, Caleb, if we're going to bash the Catholics, turn it over to me. I okay. am going to stop Caleb right there and say the Catholics do not believe those three things. I have the doctrinal books up here on my bookshelf. I can show you. I have a lot of books. And everything about Catholicism is up there. Yeah, but they would say, you know, they would say, yes, we believe in that, but we also believe in this, which undermines that hmm. core belief. No, as far as salvation goes, they would not say that we believe that not salvation comes alone. Right? You got it by grace alone. It's they grace would, plus. Yeah, okay, but they would say they would special grace. They would grace still say plus. that they believe in salvation through the blood of Jesus. Right. They do, they do, they do, they do say that, but then they also, it gets complicated with how that's applied to you is through your works. You got it. Yeah. The, so, yeah, the it's, I, I would, I would argue. Okay. The only, let's not get in, let's, okay. we're, we're already into the weeds. Okay. <laughs> Setting that aside. All right. We would agree that anyone that calls themselves a Christian church mm -hmm. should believe in those three fundamentals, right? Right. That's not, we're not into anything weird or strange or hard to believe yet. Okay. So why would you want those on your doctrinal statement? Well, I, that's a, that's a good, a good place to start because here, here we have an issue where you can either have, you just say, we go with the Bible and then mm -hmm. it's anyone's interpretation of what the Bible states mm -hmm. and and or what the Bible doesn't state based off of their perspective. Or you all agree as a church, these are fundamentals that we all must uphold and say that in, as a minimum, in order to be a Christian, you must adhere to these core principles that we believe in as a church. Okay, so a lot of times, and I don't know if this is the way, this is how it is with your church, most doctrinal statements are required to be agreed upon for, for membership. membership. Right. And what they're saying is we don't want anyone being a member of this church and teaching a Sunday school class and, and being in charge and teaching the Bible. If you can't 
get behind these basic things. We're not getting into anything weird or crazy or difficult here. These are the fundamentals. And that's usually what you find in a church doctrinal statement is the basics. Which, which what you just brought up really could cover the whole rest of the podcast, which is how not to write a church doctrinal statement. And that's leave out all the weird and the crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you don't need that. Stick with the core principles, the, the important values, and leave the weird and crazy stuff up to individuals to determine that. So that would really be one of my, one of the things that I would say when we're asking what should be in a church doctrinal statement or what should be left out, I would say what, what should be in a church doctrinal statement is as little as possible. And then right. what should be left out would be as much as possible. And the reason is... <clears throat> You can only ask people to believe like you so much. Right. And then beyond that, it is unreasonable to ask that of them. So the deal is, if you're not willing to believe in those three fundamentals that Caleb and I just talked about, well, guess what? You're not a Christian. I don't know why you want to be a part of a Christian church. You should right. find a place that agrees with what you believe in. Right. So it's like it's like having a discussion with somebody that that you're trying to convince them that stealing uh, stealing soft drinks from a soda machine is a bad thing to do. Sure. And you're having this discussion back and forth and you're not really sure where you're going to land on it because their their moral compass is different than your moral, moral compass. And you and you say, all right, stop. First, can we both agree the stealing in general is bad? Can we both mm -hmm. agree the stealing is bad? If we can't agree on that, then quit arguing about stealing soft drinks. Yeah. The, the, the reason, uh, Caleb brought up the Bible is God's infallible word is because that is our fallback. That's the foundation. That means Caleb believes that Patrick believes that they both have a differing of opinion. They can both open the Bible. They can talk about it and they can figure out one of them is wrong. Here's where it says so, but a bang. Why is and it that it always happens that you're relent. the wrong, you're the one that's wrong. When in these analogies, no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, when whenever we end up falling back on scripture and we find out that one mm -hmm. of us is wrong, how is it? I'm just trying to figure out why it is. It's always you. Okay, everybody that's been listening to us for a while knows that that was a joke. <laughs> okay, so <clears throat> what should be left out of a doctrinal statement? Uh, personal opinions, personal convictions, personal interpretations of minor things, and tr I would say, and traditions, traditions of man. So, so let me let me give you an idea, and this is something that I think I I mentioned to you when you're talking about beliefs. You really have three different groups. You have the church, and what the church says it believes, and that is all of the believers in the church getting together and saying, this is what we all agree on. Then you have the pastor and what he believes, because let's face it, the pastor is the guy that you're going to hear from most often, right? You're going to hear him preach the Bible every Saturday or Sunday or Friday night, as the case is at our little home church. Then you're going to have all the individual members. Did you just call it a little home church? That sounds very dismissive. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, our, 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 you're right. Sorry, our this house is, an is actually joke. quite large. 
<clears throat> so then you're going to have all of the different beliefs of each pers person that goes to the church. Understand that the pastor's beliefs don't even have to be in line with the church, uh, with what the church believes, other than what we're talking about, the basics of the doctrinal statement, meaning the pastor could live his life very differently than a lot of people in the church because he sets a higher bar for where his convictions land and him and his family do things differently because they believe right. that's what the Bible wants. And that is really something that's never brought up in the church. <clears throat> and you can have individual members. Some of them are, are very liberal and in their interpretation, they're very loose in their uh, exegesis. And they're going to be people that are very, very tight in the way that they read the Bible. It's going to be very fundamental and they're not going to have a lot of wiggle room. All of those people should be able to go to that church so long as they all get behind the church doctrinal statement. What do you think? Do you want to explain exegesis since you just brought up a complicated <laughs> doctrinal issue that a lot of people haven't ever heard of? Because I just brought up a $5 word. <clears throat> it's the way that you interpret the Bible. Okay, it's so actually, some it's a strict method that you it's like a set of rules that you that you adhere to when you're studying the scripture. You don't just do it willy-nilly. Yeah. So and that's some people will have a very tight, rigid form of exegesis that they use when reading the Bible. I have a very, very tight fundamental view of the Bible. I'm not the guy that says, ah, it's whatever, you know, that could mean something different for you and different for me. I'm like, nope. Uh, it says what it says. It means what it says. 99 out of a hundred times. I don't need to figure it out. I just need to believe exactly what it says. And it's usually very clear. Other people have a very loose, uh, interpretation of the Bible where they give a lot of latitude. You can, you can end up with lots of different beliefs and they're okay with all of them. They don't see that it's very important. So <clears throat> most churches in America today have a fairly loose exegesis that they use as a lens when going through the Bible. That's and why you, that, that's why on any given Sunday you walk into church and you're probably going to hear quite a bit of heresy. <laughs> yeah, and it's the reason that Patrick doesn't feel comfortable most places and doesn't fit in, in a lot of places. Because I believe God knew what Dude. he was talking about when he wrote the book. He made the instruction manual. And Caleb, you ever see anyone that throws out the instruction manual and just wings it? <laughs> right. It Whatever they're trying to build is always a mess because there are guys that designed it and they knew but what they were doing. But it's very entertaining to watch. Oh, brother. <laughs> okay, Caleb, can I... Can I tell you, do you got, can I, can I burn up oh, yeah, three I, minutes? I just had 30 minutes experience. left here. Okay, okay good. good. So <clears throat> I went to a customer's house. This customer, I love them to death. They're, they're never going to listen to this podcast. So it's not a concern that, <laughs> you know, we we're talking about them. I'm not going to name them, but the husband is do, very, I'll, I'll look them up and send him a text yeah, with the link to yeah, this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> The, the husband is very conservative. The wife is super liberal. I mean, okay. like over the top, out of control, crazy uh, liberal. You mean politically or? Politically. Okay. I mean, every which way you could mean okay. liberal. Okay. Purple hair. So, and yeah. Time. Tree hugging, you know, okay. um, <clears throat> gay pride marching, you know, 
so sandal wearing decaf coffee drinking you know go <laughs> on as long as you want so anyway i'm over there and and this is something that i dealt with i'm gonna say Wait, just just to be clear so yeah. so black coffee is a, a part of your core doctrine no 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 caffeinated coffee Caffeine, okay. come on so go okay. ahead yeah quote me directly <laughs> if you're gonna quote me okay that's how church splits happen okay so <clears throat> So they're, they're the nicest couple and, you know, we get along very well and, you know, I, I am not liberal, but the wife and I get along and sometimes we tease each other about our political leanings, but they're the sweetest people. I love going over there and working at their house. They love having me there. You know, it's wonderful. So I don't know, like five or six years ago, they, they were telling me for some reason about their kids and it was mostly the husband and he was confiding in me and he was telling me about their kids and and their kids are just a train wreck. I mean, they are just, their life is a mess. You know, one of them was, you know, just, um, uh, terribly unhealthy into drugs, grossly overweight, getting in trouble with the law, couldn't keep a job. I mean, just so many things going against them, bad with money, yada, yada, yada. And then I found out that both, oh, I forget if it was two or three of their kids, all of their kids just turned out to be a mess. So, and, and the reason we got into that was because they asked me about, I had my kids with me when we were working and they were very impressed and our kids were very nice and polite and hardworking and yada, yada, yada. And they were telling me about how their kids were just a train wreck. So <clears throat> then what I hear is that they are going to be getting their new granddaughter because their child and their child's spouse were not able to take care of the kid. Right. Now, you and I have talked about this before, and anyone that does a terrible job raising their kids, uh, we always say, take heart because you will get a second chance right. when you raise your grandkids. The problem is you're going to start raising your grandkids at like 50 or 55 years old, and they're not going to be out of your house, you know, until you're 75 and, and ready for death. But all that so, practice with how not yeah. chaos eventually. <laughs> okay. And that's exactly what I was thinking is, um, you know, they really just did not do their job as parents and their kids are hellions and they're, you know, they're reaping what they've sown. And I didn't say this, and but I mean, those are the facts. And we've all met those folks and we've seen them and, and I still love them dearly. But the fact is, I'm not going to ask them how to raise my kids. Well, I, I haven't been, I, I was over there and they had the baby and the baby was up to like, whatever, two, three years old. And, and then all of a sudden that was it. And I hadn't been around them for a couple of years. Well, I just went back the other day and their little, uh, their little girl is six. Well, let me tell you, I have not met such a little terror in years. I mean, throwing a holy fit tantrums, telling the, you know, the grandmother, no. And I mean, the kid's six years old, they still have like uh, baby gates up and they still have those baby things. So they can't open the cabinets and, you know, and I'm thinking, man, at what point, you know, are you going to hide their car keys in there right. <laughs> you know, one day when they're older and the kid is like I said, yelling and screaming at them, throwing a fit, stomping their feet, slamming doors, just the whole thing. And the grandmother actually said, um, uh, boy, sometimes I wished I believed in spanking my kids. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I bet you do. 
and and here's the thing okay when she said that in my mind it clicked like wait a minute what does it matter what you believe right like caleb i don't know if you've ever tried to get on a diet and work out and get in shape but i've never cared about what i believe I go and find the skinny people who are in good shape and I ask them what they believe. Right. Because they're the ones that can do it. You know, it doesn't matter if I think, you know, chicken McNuggets and milkshakes are good for me, you know, and I can eat them three meals a day. That that doesn't matter. If it's wrong, it's wrong. The truth has no agenda. I should be looking for what's true, what's right, and I should be doing that because of the results not because of how it makes me feel. And we run into this with Christianity all the time where people don't do what the Bible says, not because the Bible doesn't have a proven track record, because it does. They do it because they don't like the way it makes them feel. Right. They don't they don't like being ostracized by certain people or looked down upon by certain people. They don't like they don't like um you know, going against the grain. They don't like standing out. They don't like being a strange and peculiar people in this sinful, you know, godless world. Uh, They like fitting in and they don't go off of the results of following the Bible. And that's why they have so many problems. And this couple, Caleb, that has complimented my wife and I so dearly so many times on how we've raised our kids, never one time have asked us what we do. Right. And it's like, hey, if you want your little girl to stop slamming her door and stomping her feet, I can help you. I won't hurt her. It'll take all of 10 minutes. I mean, it's not, it ain't no rocket surgery. We can do it. Okay. I'm a, I'm a fully grown man. I guarantee I can stop any kid you give me, especially a six-year-old from stomping their feet and slamming the door and screaming at you. This will You're, be our new podcast promo. Oh, brother. Yeah. Up under investigation for this. Little <laughs> you might edit this out when you upload it to Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> but understand this is something that we're, that relates to what we're talking about when we talk about uh, exegesis and how we interpret the Bible. We're not supposed to try to read the Bible and make it say what we want it to say. When right. our life and the Bible are incongruent, our job is to conform our life to fit with the Bible. We are not to try to make the Bible say what accurately describes our life to be. We are to change our life. The Bible is immovable. God is immovable. We are supposed to conform to his will. All right, that's my so, rant. I don't know if that okay. was helpful. I I was I started making notes here partway through because there's a couple of things that came up and I was like, man, I want to get on that. And then like, yeah, the rant, yeah, the yeah. Rant no, 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 I get so it. Long, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. Seven minutes, I know. <laughs> Go ahead, jump on in. What do you got? <laughs> okay, so... Uh, back to uh, the point that you made before you went off on the whole uh, child training thing, which I was mm-hmm. the whole time I was like, I hope this is heading somewhere that's relevant. And then I love where you <laughs> went with that, which is the idea that that my idea of truth has no bearing on the truth. So what I believe Thank has you. has no bearing on the truth. And I, I really, really like to get into that a little bit. Um, but before we go there, um, so you you mentioned something earlier and this is something that i was just wondering if you have any particular pet peeves with this mm-hmm. just since we were on the on the subject so one of my biggest pet peeves with people having um no method to how they study their bible no method to how yeah. they preach the, the word and really can just read anything into scripture that they want mm-hmm. and and having i mean 
I've been in church with people where I've listened to them give messages or, or make statements where I'm pretty clear, pretty sure that they have no idea that there is such a thing as exegesis. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They don't have any idea that there are rules as far as how you do and don't interpret things into the Bible. Sure. There was something said this morning where there was a story being told of something that happened in the Bible. And the the guy that was that was telling the story was relating it as far as how this applied to another area of life. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking when this story was written in the Bible, I look at this and I really, I really like the idea of, of reading the Bible, like you said, where you literally read the Bible for what it says. You don't try to find it, say other things. You know, the Bible makes itself very, very clear. You don't have to try to make it say other things to make it more interesting. You certainly don't have to go back to the Greek or the Hebrew and try to like find ways to read more of your complicated stuff into it. Because to me, as soon as you do that, I'm not saying you can't go back to the Hebrew or the Greek to find out what the original text was. Um, but the idea that you're going to try to do this in order to complicate things worse, to me, really points very clearly to the fact that you should only be trying to make the truth as simple and clear and concise as it is. If you try to make it more complicated, then you're trying to read an agenda into scripture and you really don't care about finding truth. You just want to excuse your, so why not just go with your narrative in the first place? Because as soon as you get to that point where you're not actually trying to discover truth, realizing I go to the grave, I'm a little print on a headstone somewhere. And my idea of truth in a thousand years from now is not going to affect yep. what Christianity believes. My mm-hmm. my beliefs, my church's beliefs, what they believe really don't matter. Truth is really what we should be after. And if we're after that, then the Bible is very, very clear in it, in what is and isn't truth. And it makes itself, uh, I mean, people go to great lengths to try to get the Bible to say something like, well, I don't think that the Bible actually condemns homosexuality. It's like, do yep. you know that you have to ignore thousands, literally thousands of, oh, yeah. of scripture that explicitly condemn it and say it's an abomination. And then you try yep. to have to read something into it. Well, I think yeah. that when Jesus said love, that the Greek yeah. actually meant that he meant all love. And you know, and, yeah. and you start coming yeah. up with these ridiculous oh, yeah. explanations to try to make the Bible say something that it doesn't say. So that's yeah. one of my pet peeves is, is of course that but then the other thing is well like for instance this morning of course this is a dear friend of mine that had the message and i'm not saying that there was anything wrong with him doing this i was just kind of chuckling while he had the message because he was talking about paul and silas where they were bound in chains in in the in the prison and this is a very interesting story but then he was relating that to when we have chains and, and things in our life where we're being stripped and beaten by life and by depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts or whatever. And I'm sitting there just thinking this would be so much more simpler if you found somebody that was actually dealing with anxiety or suicidal thoughts or some of these things, (laughs) some story that I feel like connects to this, then finding a story where it's talking about some guys that got beat and they're thrown in jail. And then they're Mm -hmm. choosing to praise God through this, through this time. And then he's trying to connect it to other parts of, of scripture. I'm just like, for some reason you lose me right there. It's one of my pet peeves. I'm like, don't try to make the Bible say something that it doesn't say. Mm-hmm. And of course, Andy, if you're watching this, <laughs> I love you dearly. It was a great <laughs> message, good points, but that's just one of my pet peeves of, of, I just hate it when people turn literal stories in the Bible into analogies that could mean this or this and trying to draw it into your life. It just drives me crazy sometimes. That's just one of my pet peeves. I was just wondering if you have, have one that you that just drives you crazy. If you're sitting in church and somebody's preaching or somebody's talking about the Bible and you feel them doing this, does is there things like that that bug you? <clears throat> Across the board, I always have trouble when someone reads a scripture that's black and white, and then they do exactly what you said. They spend 10, 15 minutes trying to explain something away, and it's always so obvious because Mm -hmm. it's difficult and it's awkward. And 
I wish they would just say, the Bible says thou shalt not steal, but I don't care. I like stealing. I would scream amen (laughs) as soon as they finished that statement. At least they're honest. At least it's honest. Right. You know, let's stop trying to make the Bible fit into our stupid ideas. And for me, Caleb, there are things in my life where I, I can tell you, I'm not sure the Bible's okay with this, but I really like doing it. And that's where I'm at. Like that shirt you were wearing earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Caleb didn't like the t-shirt I had on earlier, so I changed for him. They didn't want to make my brother stumble. But the, 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 the point is, it is up to the individual to read the Bible, understand what God expects of them, and then change their life. This is a great segue into what we were talking about with our church doctrinal statement. So okay, we so, have the individual. Yeah, go, go oh, ahead. I'm not sure where this is you going. Have more but, point? Well, you, it's just, I was going to say your churches, and I don't know if this is, I have no mm-hmm. idea what the next part is here, but no different than the fact that we realize that our personal beliefs have no bearing on truth. We should also mm-hmm. realize that our church's beliefs as a church have no bearing on the truth. And, and we that's should, a great point. And we should be willing to acknowledge that. And if we're not willing to acknowledge that, this doesn't mean that we are that we're saying everything your church believes is wrong or that you should never agree with your church, but you shouldn't assume that because your church believes something that they're right, you should Absolutely. always go into it with an with a critical investigative attitude. When you're when when you're visiting a church, you shouldn't just go there being like, let's try this out and see if it feels right. And if we fit in here, yeah. and if it does, then we're gonna just go with go with what they do. You should look at it very critically and say, does do what they do and what they preach, does that line up with the Bible? And can I can I agree with their with their beliefs based off of the Bible? If you yeah. can't agree with it, that's fine. You can still go to church there, but you shouldn't yeah. be looking at you shouldn't be looking at your views based off of well, this is what my church believes, so therefore this yeah. is th- this has some bearing on truth. It has zero bearing on truth. Absolutely. Okay, zero. you you just brought up a pet peeve of mine. There is nothing that makes blood shoot out of my <laughs> eyes more than when I ask a Christian a straightforward question and their answer starts with well, my church, my church believes. Right. I just want to like just <laughs> grab them and you know baptize them for like 10 minutes <laughs> so <clears throat> Caleb I was in a church once and I heard the assistant pastor say that you know he was going through movies at his house and books at his house and he decided that his standard was if it wasn't in the church bookstore, that he wasn't going to own it. He wasn't going to read a book that wasn't in the church bookstore. And I said, this is amazing. I've only been in church for like five years and I've already met the dumbest pastor on earth. I thought this could take, (laughs) I mean, my whole life. I mean, I thought he might be in China or, you know, somewhere in Australia or in Siberia. He's here. I, I got can, to meet is there him. Any way, is there any way that I can send him this episode? <laughs> I would like to I would like to see if you would um, uh, sign this episode for him. <laughs> What's oh, up? brother. Uh, well, that's the, the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Autograph. Autograph. Yeah. The problem is you just relinquished your morality Duty. and your right. standards to somebody else you don't even know who's deciding what books are in the bookstore 
you know, it's someone else's job. And you just decided that they are now in control of your standards and morality. Holy cow. So that's kind of a, that's definitely a pet peeve of mine. And Caleb, I think your point, you hit the nail right on the head. What your church believes has no bearing on truth. What your pastor believes has no bearing on truth. What Caleb and Patrick believe has no bearing on truth. Hey, speak for yourself. It's, <laughs> it's the word of God. That's it. You're going to be judged based on God's word. Just what it says, not what your little 365 daily devotional calendar, now, you know, got you even, to believe. Even if that that daily devotional calendar or that pastor comes from a long mm -hmm. lineage of pastors where they've had the anointing like passed oh, down through the years. Are you sure that, yeah. it, that still has no bearing on truth? You know, that is about as solid as the old uh, use of what was it? Relics right. where you, you would travel and have this pilgrimage across whatever to, you know, be able to visibly see the skull of John the Baptist that some church had, you know, and it was this great thing that was going to, you know, bring you closer to God. <clears throat> so, <Idol worship. clears throat> yeah, I mean, really, that's that's exactly what it was. So, All right, so you can go on to the next point. Sorry, I just. No, that's fine. The, the next point is this. How does the individual fit into a church that disagrees with them? So how do you fit in when you're an oddball? You got it. Or what do you do if you're in the church, especially if you're in leadership in the church and you have an oddball? So let's start with what what is the oddball to do? Because, Caleb, that is talking about you and I. Right. And I'm okay with just saying me. Okay, yeah. What is the <laughs> oddball to do when the you get ball. to a church? Yeah. And he just doesn't fit in. It just doesn't work out. He stands out. It's obvious. What's the? What do you do with that? So there's the, the two sides to that coin. One is how how does the church handle it, and how does the individual mm -hmm. ha handle it? And I I personally am of the opinion that diversity is a strength in the church. Mm -hmm. I would love to go to church with people like you that mm -hmm. I think are a nut job and crazy and do the you know whatever. Don't believe like mm -hmm. I do. I would love to go to, to church with people like that because I feel like at least you have studied your Bible and you you know where you stand based off of your own personal conviction. So I think the sure. church is stronger when people like you are in it. Now, mm -hmm. does that mean that it's more comfortable for the church? Absolutely not. No. It's awkward because all of a sudden it's like, yeah. wait, this guy over here looks like that and he does this and that guy does this and you know mm -hmm. where, where's the unity here? And so obviously it makes it makes for an awkward <clears throat> awkward setting at times. I mean, I don't fit in. I don't feel like I fit in that great at my church. Um, but yet there's a, there's a lot of of unity, and I feel like that there's that iron that sharpens iron. And I prefer to be in a church where there's the the room to grow and the ability to be diverse. So I think as the individual in a church like that, to realize that you have the opportunity to bring something to the table for the church by having your own convictions rather than just leeching off of the church's leadership and their convictions. But you also can hurt the church tremendously if all of a sudden you become this high-minded, self-righteous person that wants to push your agenda on the church. We'll, we'll, we'll get there in a second. Yeah. <clears throat> so to add to what Caleb said, if you're going to be a weirdo, you are just plain used to it by now. And you've right. accepted the fact that you're different and you're going to be different from everybody. And that's okay. You don't care because self-assurance, self-confidence, it's an inside job. 
and you either are okay with who you are and you believe God loves you and he's okay with who you are and he's happy with who you are, or you don't. And I think conformity usually comes from a lot of people who are insecure and they find comfort and strength in being exactly the same as others. Yeah, I would say so. I, I also know of people that I think are insecure and probably try to offset that insecurity by by exhibiting strong, you know, leadership roles or whatever. But I, I know plenty of church leaders that I feel like are very insecure themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things, okay, so this is a very personal thing because it's, I'm, I'm talking about me as the oddball now, not Patrick. Sure. Um, so obviously I think that I am an oddball. Mm-hmm. For me, I have had to, I am quite comfortable with realizing that I'm not the same as everybody else. I'm quite comfortable with realizing that that's okay. And I have come to the conclusion that uh, scripturally, I feel like that I, I am, I owe it to God to, to walk faithfully to him. And I don't really answer to, to people around me as far as my beliefs between me and God, those are between me and God. Mm -hmm. But in the church setting, I found that to put myself in a, in a position where I find like, I feel like I have to, I, I go and I run things by the pastor of our church and the, the elder, the elders in our church. Now that we finally have some, thankfully, <laughs> we went for years mm-hmm. without that. And I found there to be some comfort in, before we had elders and a, and a pastor, we, we just would sit together as members of the church and discuss things. And there was times where I, where I ran things by, by, the, by the other members of the church. And I think that there is wisdom in being willing to, even though I know they're going to disagree with my perspective, and I'm not asking them to change their ways or to agree with my perspective. But I think that there's, there's something to be said for how we interact with the other members of the church. If I was to go to the other lay members of our church, I'm not a, I'm not a leader in our church. I, I, I sing and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally I have the message, but I'm not in a leadership position. And so I, I, I consider myself a lay member of the church, even though I have a voice from the pulpit occasionally. I choose not to use that to push any agenda outside of the church's core beliefs. I'm not going to get mm-hmm. up there and preach to everybody that they need that they need to do things the way that I believe. Um, but I do I do have honest discussions with other uh, members of the church, specifically the ministry, and I feel like it's important to to have to have a channel where you can run your run your convictions by other people in the church. Tell them this is why I'm doing it. This is what the Bible says. And if you can find anything in the Bible that that proves that I shouldn't be doing this. I'm mm-hmm. going to be open to that. And I, and I leave myself wide open to that. There's things that I'm doing right now that I would, it would be a lot more comfortable if I could find any Christian anywhere that could show me some place of the Bible that says, I don't need to do this because oh, yeah. it would be a heck of a lot easier for me as a Christian, just to quit doing these extra things that I'm doing out of my obedience to God. But because I see the Bible say to do it, I never see it anywhere ever say that I can't do it. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to go with this. It's obvious. It's obvious to me. This is what I'm going to do. All right, so I have those conversations with the leadership of the church, mm-hmm. and I—that's I, I, the first conversations I have. I'm not going to mm-hmm. go, and I'm not going to have these conversations with other members of the church and try to start influencing other people to have my convictions because I would find that to be heresy or or de- causing division within the church. Not I wouldn't say heresy. I wouldn't, you, the, yeah, I, yeah, I mean a heretic in the in the way back, of a heretic, back. a heretic, uh-huh. not a her- not heresy. As far mm-hmm. as trying to come into the church and cause division and push my agenda in the church, that is a very, very dangerous place to be. And that is, it's very easy, I think, for me as a critical thinking, I like to think of myself as a critical thinker. Maybe I'm just an oddball. <laughs> it has nothing to do with critical thinking, whatever it is. It's it's a very, it's very easy for me to get in a place where all of a sudden, if I'm not careful, 
with the communication that I have, it becomes rather than iron that sharpens iron, it becomes mm-hmm. me com- coming in with, you know, with a, a machete and, and chopping the legs out from underneath other Christians or out from underneath the leadership. <clears throat> so I, I find that to be a, a very fine line to walk. And I'm not really sure if I'm doing it great or not, but I've, mm-hmm. but I've, I find that to be a, t- uh, a difficult task on the part of the believer, not on the part of the church, but on the part of the believer that has a differing opinions from the majority of the rest of the church. I think the whole idea of trying to get everyone else to be like you is a really just a great sign of weakness. My job is to conform my life to the word of God. I am supposed to do what Jesus did. I'm supposed to teach my wife and my kids and lead them in that direction. Other than that, I typically wait for the invitation. Right. And it often comes. People want to know. When you're different, when you're weird, they want to know. And as soon as they work up the courage or they feel comfortable enough to ask you, they're gonna. And then I enjoy talking to people. I don't care what anyone else does. It doesn't affect my Christianity. It doesn't affect my relationship with God. I want to be honest with people. I want to tell them the truth. I want to be able to answer their questions, tell them why I do what I do. But Caleb, do you really think that anyone is going to change their life to be more like me? No, no. You can't even get me to buy Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) I I do have a little bit. Okay, good, good, good for you. I can't get anyone to change. I don't have that power. The only thing I have over people is influence and they have to give it to me. They grant me the ability to influence them. That's all I have. Anytime I'm trying to get people to do it my way, I'm in the wrong. When people respect me and ask me questions, I can answer those questions. And then it's, it's between them and God. Right. I'm not okay with that. And I'm just not going to go there. That can't be my church home. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to feel uncomfortable. But as far as the church that I'm in, no church that I go to, none of the people in the church that I go to are going to be like me. They're just not. Right. And that's okay with me. It doesn't, it's doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't, it, it doesn't make me insecure in my beliefs seeing that I'm in the vast minority. That's okay with me because I believe that I can show anyone what the Bible says and why I do what I do, why I believe what I believe. And I have to be okay with that. So I think that was, go ahead, go ahead. Give me some, do you have a question? Well, no, not necessarily. I was just saying, it's kind of interesting as, as you talk about this to realize, and I'm not sure how many Christians, maybe maybe the majority of Christians really do feel this freedom, mm-hmm. but I certainly haven't always felt this freedom. And mm-hmm. that is the freedom that is there any part of my life or the, or my beliefs that could be wrong and that I would be willing to change based off of God's word? Mm-hmm. And would that be okay with my pastor? Would that be okay with my church? Would that be okay with my parents? Would that be okay with my friends? Mm-hmm. Um, whatever the all the different influences, the peer pressures that we have, and the freedom that comes when you can say, you know what, this is me and God. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't really answer to anybody else other than God. Obviously, I 
in this journey, as I answer to God, as I read his word and I build these convictions and I, and I really build my statement of faith, my core doctrinal statement that has nothing to do with my church, I'm going to be okay and at peace if I am the only person in the world that believes this. If there's nobody else that believes this and goes along with it, I'm going to be content and at peace with that. And as I'm doing this, the one rule of thumb that for me that I have is that I'm going to continually have my life be open to other Christians to give input or feedback into my life. I'm not just going to go out on a limb and just say, all right, I want to believe whatever I want to believe just for the sake of being different. And if I'm wrong and and everybody else around me sees that I'm wrong, I'm not going to give them any feedback into my life. You know, I am going to mm-hmm. run these decisions by them as I, as I come to difference. I mean, Patrick and I have had conversations for years over the phone where he's called and, and, and said, Hey, what do you think about this? Right. I call him and I'm like, what do you think about this? This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm experiencing. And so that feedback to me is extremely important, even though I don't answer to Patrick, I respect mm-hmm. Patrick as a Christian. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to see what Patrick thinks of this because, you know, he's a thousand miles away. He, you know, he can't get too mad at me. So, you know, why not run it by him? And mm-hmm. so, that's it, there's a incredible amount of freedom that comes from being willing to just let go of everything and say, all right, God, you know, here I am, here's your word, and I'm going to try to study this and come up with how how can I walk in obedience to you ultimately, and 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 feel that I'm somehow that my life is coming in line with your word, even that if that doesn't mean that it's coming in line with my church or my friends or my family, and I have I have found that there's so much freedom that comes from that that I think that it's that it's unfortunate that I that some Christians never experience that and they and they really feel like that they're somehow indebted to their denomination to stick with that denomination even if even if they were to find that that denomination is wrong they can't even ask the questions to find out is this wrong or is this right because that's considered going against church leadership and that would have been kind of my my upbringing the the thought process behind the denomination that I that I come from is is very much my way or the highway don't question us or else you know you know you're you're out and that's that's I think pretty common in a lot of churches wouldn't you say it is <clears throat> every church that I visited, I either got close to the pastor, talked with him, let him ask his questions, get to know me. And then when other people had a problem with me, he came to my defense and was very loyal and told people, Patrick's a good guy. You just got to get to know him. I know he's weird. Or the pastor felt threatened and insecure and I just knew I wasn't going to be able to fit in there because I was different. And that was you asked questions. kind of the end of it. You got right. it. And <clears throat> so it, it was kind of, you know, foreordained, predetermined whether I was ever going to be able to go to church there. And it wasn't because of me. It was because of the other people that were there. I, they were either going to be okay with someone different or they weren't. And, you know, it for me, it, it didn't matter. It was going to be what it is. And I had no say over that. So I was just going to jump in and, and see if it worked out, you know, and I, I've been in churches where they are very insecure and anything different, anything out of the ordinary, they just want to shut down. They want it gotten rid of. They're happy to lose members rather than confront issues. And I've been in other places where <clears throat> they were just so thrilled to have you and they loved you and they wanted you to, you know, come to church with them and and learn the Bible and worship God. And, um, y- you know, both sides of that spectrum are going to have problems. They're just going to be different problems. And in one place, you're going to feel like it's okay 
to be you. And you're, you're going to work everything else out. And don't you it, think that the church that comes to that conclusion is going to have a lot more freedom, just like the individual that comes to that mm -hmm. conclusion, that yeah. if we if we open up our church and our our Bibles and we, we write a, a mission statement based off of what we truly believe that God is trying to speak to us through his word, yeah. even if it disagrees with the church across the street mm -hmm. or with another church that's supposedly of the same denomination as we are, if, if, if churches would actually put the homework into saying, you know what, this is what, when we read the Bible, this is what we read in the Bible. This is what we yeah. believe the Bible says. This is what we believe as Christians, rather than just saying, well, you know, we're, I'll pick on Baptists just since I'm yeah, on, since on the subject. We're, all, you know, we're, we're Baptists. And so most other Baptists believe this. So we're going to go ahead and just make this our mission statement. And so then yep. from the get go as a church, you really are a copy and paste church where you mm -hmm. just took somebody else's a, a statement of faith, their their core doctrine beliefs, and, and you adhere to them as opposed to saying, you know what, as a church, are we okay with straying outside of the, the constraints of of this sure. you know denomination? And I think that <clears throat> the same ex the same experience that I've had as a Christian where where I feel like that that the sky was the limit between me and mm -hmm. God. Like there was nothing that was going to come between me and him in my beliefs. I think that churches should be willing to 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 make a mission statement the same way where they're not afraid to say, all right, this is what the Bible says. And even if nobody else is doing it, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're not afraid to be different. You know, we're okay with being fearless in this way. We're not going to, we're not going to be peer pressured into believing the same thing that everybody else believes. You know, Caleb, the way it works <clears throat> is that when you have a church that is so unwilling to bend because this is the way that it's always been, and this is the church we grew up in, and this is the way that you do it. And like you said, they're a copy and paste church. Mm -hmm. What you end up with is a church that not even God can change. And you never right. want to be there. You just don't. That's always a bad place. The <clears throat> When you read the book of Revelation, there are seven letters written in the book of revelation caleb who wrote those letters jesus jesus did and you gotta write this time yeah, you asked me that question one other time <laughs> and who did jesus write these letters to to individual churches individual churches now the churches that he picked <clears throat> were strange and there is nothing more fun than putting a Bible study together about those churches. All seven of those churches were real and they were very pertinent <clears throat> geographically at their time, the, the special things that were going on. It was very interesting and, and it's a great study. Right. But was the church of Rome on there? No. Nope. Was the church of Jerusalem on there? No. No. The, it didn't make sense why Jesus wrote to those seven churches until you really start to dig into it. Now, out of those seven churches, what was the content of the letter that Jesus gave to each church? Each church got their own letter. What was the gist of it? What was the content? What was contained in that letter? Mostly criticism where they were straying from the truth. Okay. It was a report card on that church. Now, Caleb right. said mostly criticism. 
because most of the churches were doing badly. But even though even the one church that was doing pretty good, he said you forsook your first love. You stuck there, to the truth, there, but you don't have your first love. There, there are technically two churches where nothing bad is written about. There are two churches where nothing good is written about. And then there are three other churches written to. Now, this is the most interesting part about those four churches. The letter they received was a surprise to each church. The churches where nothing good was written about them, it was only condemnation. They were surprised. They could not believe that they got such a letter because they thought they had it down. And the churches where nothing bad was written about them, Jesus says, I know what you're going through. You're, you just keep doing it. I know it's hard. I know. Okay. Those churches could not believe that the Lord gave them such a good report card. And that is one of the best litmus tests for a church. Whenever I go to a church where they feel like they just got it down, they are just doing it right. Right. That is always a signal to me that they are really messing up bad, but they can't get the message. God can't get through to them because they think they're doing so well. I always want to be at a church that constantly feels like it's failing the Lord and is trying to do a better job and fix the inadequacies and the shortcomings of their church. And they're trying desperately to make the Lord happy because they just don't think they are. And that was what happened with two of those churches in the book of Revelation. When they were doing, they didn't have anything bad said about them. And uh, they couldn't believe that the Lord gave them that report. So this uh, brings up a, a, uh, verse that i that i've been i've heard this verse repeated many a time mm -hmm. and this is something that i think that should be touched on as far as the fear i think sometimes it's a godly fear of um a, a godly fear of of straying outside of the tra traditions of your church and mm -hmm. it can come from a biblical perspective, but it can end up straying way out into left field. So there's a verse here in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 16. It says, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And so this is this is one of those verses that I've that I've heard repeated over and over again, and other verses about strange doctrines and to and to just avoid these types of conversations, avoid these types of people. And so the idea that you can't actually have conversations about about controversial issues or about your beliefs, and that your church is going to pressure you into not ever having discussions like this i mean mm -hmm. some could say that this whole podcast has been vain babbling and i don't oh, yeah. think that, that is what the bible is talking about at yeah. all i think that's a, a, that's a, a terrible a terrible mistranslation of what's being talked about uh vain babblings and um and uh, some some ver some versions will say i think like irreverent chatter mm -hmm. uh and i think i can't remember 
Um, I should have looked up some of the other versions of it, but I, if I if I remember right, I think maybe it's the NIV or one of them talks about it as being godless chatter, and I mm -hmm. think that this is is actually re referring to useless talk um, in the church. It could be talking about your job, your your work. It could be talking about things that are ungodly, that are um, immoral. It could be you know jesting. It could be all kinds of things other than talking mm -hmm. about doctrine. It it could possibly talk about vain babblings about doctrine as well. You know, not not having un, unrealistic arguments about about doctrinal issues, but the idea that we're not supposed to talk about doctrinal issues, or, or that we're not supposed to have discussions about it, or that it's that it shouldn't be up for debate, is the most is the most ridiculous and unbiblical idea that you yep. could possibly impose upon Scripture. Because, like like Patrick said earlier, the apostles grappled with how do we handle this issue or that or that issue and they didn't always agree which it should be that way we shouldn't always agree <laughs> because mm -hmm. we're trying to we're trying to walk with god we're trying to serve him as good as we can but we're still humans and we're still going to have differences of opinion and that's okay there's nothing wrong with having differences of opinion on stuff but uh back to kind of the first question in here is what is an acceptable difference of opinion and there are some things that you just i mean we, we listed three things right off the bat you you really can't sit there and even have a, a godly discussion with somebody who doesn't first acknowledge that salvation comes through jesus by faith alone that doesn't acknowledge jesus for being god there's there's things like that that you you know if, if scripture to them is just a commentary on their on their spiritual revelation that they have and, and scripture comes secondary as a secondary source of truth and their their mm -hmm. dreams and visions are the first source of truth then you really have no room to discuss something with them because they are a deceived person they don't understand where they don't you know they don't put emphasis on God's word as being infallible and as actually being authoritative so those are those are a few things that for me are are absolutes that I mean it's it's pretty clear that there's no there's nowhere healthy for this conversation to go. We might as well not be discussing um, some issue about how we apply the Bible to our lives in our marriage when we can't first acknowledge that the Bible is God's word and that Jesus is God. You know, there's no reason it have that would be a vain babbling to me to be having a discussion with something about something a peripheral issue when you can't when you can't agree on some core doctrines. Um, what you said that you kind of have a whole list of of absolutes for you when you're when you're joining a church uh, we we narrowed it down to three earlier but what if you were to if you're up it to six what are some more for you um okay since for pick, me since i picked the three no, easy ones that's good yeah i'm glad you did that okay so for me i need a church that is uh run by and the leadership is totally made up of men i, I you're sexist is what you're saying uh yep 100 percent I am not willing to go to a church where uh, there's a female pastor, there's a female assistant pastor. I'm not willing to go to a church And where... so that discussion would be one that you would first have to both agree on the fact that the Bible is God's word and the Bible says this in oh, order yeah. for you to actually have this discussion about whether or not yeah. women should be pastors. So as, yeah. you, as you agree on more and more fundamentals, these become, you know, these, I don't know if that would even make it onto my radar yet at number in the top six, but mm -hmm. of course that is, you know, as far as church goes, that's a very practical way that the church can obey God or not. Yeah, I've even been to some churches where the pastor was a male. He was the only one in authority. But then after that, really everything was kind of run by women. You know, the, the women kind of um, ran the Sunday school. The women ran the VBS. The women ran, the, you know, just everything that went on. There was always a wife that was in charge. The, the, the church wasn't run by men. 
And I've only seen that cause terrible problems. So it's one of those that I'm just not willing to. So you're doubling down on the sexism as number one and number two now. (laughs) No, no, no. That's, uh, that's, I mean, continuation. (laughs) yeah, I don't know if this is, you know, after year three, this is number four and I'm about to give you five and six. So I'm saying it's, it's on my list of convictions that I am not willing to bend on. Which wouldn't is it wouldn't seem to need to be an issue, except that we live in Western civilization, and this is an issue in the church these days. And it it's is, funny it because, issue. yeah, you go back fifty years, and everyone would be like, "Why is that on your list? Like, is there a church somewhere that where that's a problem?" <laughs> right. You know, it wasn't an issue. Uh, but nowadays, uh, the roles are so messed up. Women want to be men, and 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 wives want to be husbands, and they want the role of the husband and the responsibility of the men, and they want the tasks. It's just a mess. So and for it, everyone, and it that's, a mess. for everyone yeah. that's offended right now about Patrick's mm-hmm. strong statement on women in the church, you can go back and you can listen to our episode yeah. on women pastors, and women then pastors. I think we have another episode <laughs> on. I think that was it. We covered. Well, we had our wives on one episode about. Yeah, I don't remember what that women was Women in the church or something now, like that. Was it? I thought that one was I don't, I don't know. Remember. We have we okay, have a couple well, of we have a couple yeah. of episodes where we've done our our um, measly attempt at trying to tackle these subjects. So obviously yeah. Patrick Patrick does believe that women have a role in the church. Yeah. And absolutely. That there, are, that there are ways that women can serve in the church, but that there's also yeah. an order there. Women have a role. Men are not allowed in the women's role. Women are not allowed in the men's role. End of story. Right. So that you don't yeah. think it's godly for the for the older men to teach the younger women. You don't nope. you don't you don't think that's nope. a great that's practice. A mess. Yeah. <laughs> so uh you know, that's always one. Uh believe it or not, for me, uh baptism is a big one. I'm not okay with the church that sprinkles. Okay. Uh, I would never go, you know, I'd Yep, I'd never so go to one. If uh, if they immerse halfway, does that count? Mm-hmm. A half. That's fifty percent correct. Okay, so if they immerse up to the waist, that's okay. What if they immerse? No, no, no. That's if they immerse all the way up. One percent. If they immerse all the way mm-hmm. up to the top of the shoulders, does that count? Nope. All right. So what if they immerse and they get their eyeballs under the water, but just not from here up? Nope. Okay, so it's just the top of the head that matters. So we all agree. That's all right? that matters. Yep. <laughs> just sprinkle on the top of the head and we all agree, right? Yeah, I've heard that joke before. <laughs> That's the first time so, I got to play it out. But yeah. actually, I, I'm, I'm an immersion baptism guy too. I'm big on that. And and actually, not just that, but I'm big on actually getting baptized. I don't think this really has any. I just think it's silly that we don't do this because Jesus went down and he was baptized in a river. And I always think it's cool sure. when people are actually baptized in a real lake or a river rather than oh, a horse yeah. trough or a sure. bathtub or whatever. I, of yeah. course, I don't think it has any bearing on whether or not sure. it's a legitimate it's baptism. I just <laughs> think it's cool when we actually get to experience baptism the way that Jesus did. Yeah, no, I get it. You know, another one for me is I'm not okay with a, um, I'm not okay with a church that is part of a larger denomination. I would never be the member of a church that um, has a governing body over it, you know, a governing okay. body that runs several churches. So no popes for Patrick. Nope. Uh, okay. None of that. Uh, churches need to be autonomous. Uh, I would never be a part of a church that allows the government to tell them uh, how they are to um, act concerning their faith and practice. Uh, the church stays out of the government. The government stays out of the church. That's the way it works. 
So obviously with COVID that has counted out pretty much every single church <laughs> like in America, nine, except yeah, yeah, nine out of nine every out of 10, 10 for sure. Yeah. You know, and so for me, that's, and the, and the reason for these is they've always ended up with real bad news. Any of these compromises have been a real big problem, you know, along with that, I've had, you know, I've met, I've known pastors that I love dearly that haven't really been that concerned with uh, creation versus evolution. I've had pastors that haven't been concerned about the end times. I've had pastors that haven't been concerned about a lot of things, and I love them dearly. They're friends of mine, you know, and we we have some differences of beliefs. But so anyway, those those are three that uh, that I would that I would throw in there. Also, I've never been a fan of a real heavy-handed church. You know, okay. any, any church that is, you know, moving over to that cult like mentality, it's always going to be a problem. People are always going to get hurt. So, you know, don't ever bother joining one of those. It's just going to be a mess sooner or later for you or someone you love. All even right, if, man. Even if their young ladies are pretty and the guys seem yep. like they're happy and, you know, all the flowery things that happen in Got cults. it. Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, I have a question here, and this is for one of our uh, guys that just chimed in here. So, Johnny Walner mm -hmm. uh, says he agrees with you on on. I think he's agreeing with you on what you're saying as far as church being not no popes and the different things that you expect from yeah. church. So, Johnny, my question for you is: Are you Johnny Junior or Senior? Because I know two Johnny Walners in. South Dakota, and you're always on here. I always enjoy having you on here, but I'm trying to figure out if you're the dad or the son. If I if I've got it right, I'm assuming that you're the dad, but I don't know because I don't think you're very active on Facebook. So anyway, you can reply with the in the comments there. Let me know. Good to have you on here. So basically, we've spent an hour. Okay, so it's Johnny Walner Senior, or mm -hmm. Walner or Waldner, however you say that. He's a Hutterite, I believe, ex -Hutter ex Hutterite, uh, born again Christian. I've gone to church with him in, in South Dakota. Mm -hmm. So um, we've spent an hour and 20 minutes here discussing how to write a, a, a church statement of faith. So as a believer, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know that we really gave a really clear, uh, a clear template for how, how you do it. But uh, the, the gist of it or the takeaway for me as a believer in, in kind of writing my my uh, doctrinal statement as far as where I stand, which I personally believe that that's the most important thing in the church is where you, you stand personally and where, where the members of the church stand. If, if the, ch mm -hmm. the, the church members themselves don't have a, a, a doctrinal stance, then the mm -hmm. church, the church is never going to be able to have a strong doctrinal stance. It only, it only comes from convicted Christians that, mm -hmm. uh, that have read the, read the scripture and, and, have a born again mentality where they are walking with God, walking in obedience with God. And then they come together. And in that spirit of unity, where they say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, where we can set aside all of our differences and, and put on the mind of Christ, that then we can actually come up with a church doctrinal statement that's actually beneficial to us as a church, as a community. If we, if we all just believe whatever everybody else believes, and then we come together as a church and we try to come up with a, with a doctrinal statement, our best bet is just to copy and paste from somebody else. Because if you mm -hmm. don't have a clue what you believe, then your church better not have a clue what they believe either, because you have no business helping to write a statement of faith. And so I think as, as a member of a church, contributing and being able to build up and edify in the body comes very much from, from our personal walk with God. So uh, the, the key takeaway for me is as a Christian, which this is really kind of the point that uh, why I wanted to have this podcast more or this discussion 
more than anything wasn't so much how do you write a, a church statement of faith or, or doctrinal statement, but how do we as Christians come with come up with our beliefs and, and our core doctrines? And I think for me, it's kind of like we had an episode recently on prayer where we talked about that. It's like, how do I pray? Well, just do it. All right. <laughs> there's no, there's no really, there's no golden rule to how to pray. It's talking to God. And the same thing with our beliefs. It's like, where do you start? There are some important things. Of course, we listed some of the things that are the most important to us. Maybe they're not the most important to you. I certainly think that my top three most important things should be every Christian's top three most important things because <laughs> that they seem like they're very important. I think both Patrick and I would agree that if, if your salvation doesn't come through Jesus, you have no business calling yourself a Christian because you're not mm -hmm. a Christian. If Jesus isn't God, then your salvation comes from some phony man. If the Bible some isn't God. the word of God, yep. then Jesus doesn't exist because that's yep. where we find out that Jesus exists is from the Bible. So those, I mean, those, those three things to me are some of the most important things. You can't really get away without those and, and still be a Christian. So it, it, once you get those, those three things down, then, you know, take it from there. I mean, I, I wouldn't have the same list as far as women pastors being number four, maybe that's not number four for Patrick, but you know, whatever it is, um, whatever those next things are. I think it's just cool to not be not be afraid of of actually reading God's word and and coming up with your own convictions as as a Christian mm -hmm. and and being okay with and and maybe a good place to start is to have a conversation with the leadership in your church and say hey would you guys be okay with you know if I if I just write up a, a statement of faith for myself as a Christian and mm -hmm. if I don't copy and paste off of the church's statement of faith would what would what would it come out like if we actually didn't all agree on 100% of everything, would you guys be okay with that? Would you be okay with me having this conviction where I see this thing in the Bible that the Bible says to do this and we don't do this as a church? Would you guys be bothered by it if I start doing this because I see this in the Bible? And then the church leadership may come back to you and say, well, um, oh, so, this is a good question. Johnny, go back and listen to our last uh, episode where I where I talked about my current struggle with grappling with non-resistance. I have, I have a complicated relationship with non-resistance. Um, so Patrick says, I'm not sure <laughs> what that is. <laughs> so uh, anyways, here is here is what I would say is have a conversation with your church and say, is it okay for me to believe differently than you? And that's going to tell you a lot about where your church stands. And the thing is, is when you when you bring up a, a, a for instance, um, of, of something that you, that you see that the Bible says to do and that your church isn't doing, and you wonder why, that conversation may lead them to point you out, point things out to you. Well, of course we don't do that because here, here, and here in the Bible, it specifically says not to do that, and so that's mm -hmm. why we don't do it. If you, if you, if you go to them and you say, "Well, I see in the Old Testament that it said to wring the wring the neck off of a dove in, a, you know, in a clockwise direction and sacrifice it," and, and mm -hmm. I'm wondering why we don't do that. And if your church leadership looks at you and they're like, cool, if you want to wring the neck off of a dove and sacrifice it, that's great. Diversity is great. No, your church leadership should say, well, you do realize that Jesus did away with a sacrificial law, right? Like Jesus mm -hmm. was the final sacrifice. You don't need to sacrifice. So if you're sacrificing the blood of goats and doves and animals, then don't you realize that that's kind of a slap in the face to Jesus? And so your ch church leadership should have answers, biblical answers to say, no, you shouldn't do this because the Bible says thus and thus. If they, I will just say, if they say, oh, no, you shouldn't do that because it's Old Testament and we're New Testament Christians, I would just uh, kind of <laughs> chuckle under your breath quietly to yourself and go back to your Bible and see what the Bible actually says, because Jesus was not a New Testament Christian. Mm -hmm. So I'll just throw that out there. <laughs> just to complicate matters at the end of the podcast. No, I think it would probably be a good exercise for any Christian to write their own doctrinal statement. I think a lot of people have probably never thought about it. 
And it would be great to sit down with pen and paper and say, okay, what do I believe? And why do I believe it? Can I actually list a couple right. of verses and, and make sense of it? Can I explain to someone else why I believe this and why these things are important to me? And you can even break down your beliefs into different levels. You can have your convictions, the things that you are just not willing to budge on because these are the truth. And this is the reason you are who you are and you're not going to change it because God has revealed these things to you and they will always be true. I have some other things that are beliefs and these are many, many things that I've come to believe in the Bible and it's why I live my life the way that I do. But I would always be open to listening to anybody challenge them. And if I'm wrong, I would want to change them because I want to be in line with the word of God. And then you have your preferences. Well, these are the way I like it. And if it's up to me, I'd rather have it this way. You know, these are the things in the Bible where uh, it seems like this would be best. But to be honest with you, I couldn't really make a case for it to say that you have to do it. I can't say that God said, thus saith the Lord on these issues. Right. It's just the way I'd rather. Yeah, so uh, I figured I'd just briefly touch on this issue because, of course, this is this is one of those things where I, I actually personally believe pretty closely to my church, I think, on this issue, but not exactly. Mm -hmm. And Johnny Waldner asked the question. So obviously he's he's asking the question here about non-resistance where Jesus says, do you, you know, to turn the other cheek if if mm -hmm. uh, your enemy, uh, to, to the, the, old, the old saying was to, to uh, love, what, what did he say? To... Uh, <laughs> love your uh, friends and hate your enemies or something like that. But that he gives a mm -hmm. new commandment that is to, to love one another. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm messing this whole thing up. I'm on the Bible mm -hmm. thumb for quoting Bible really terribly, but he says, he says for us to go the extra mile with, with our enemy. He, he continues to up the, up the antics here as far as what actually means as far as love. And so Johnny's wondering, would we both be non-resistant um, if somebody comes into our house and attacks us or our families, would we resist them? And would we just turn the other cheek? Like Jesus says, would we um, give them, they ask for our coat, we give them our cloak also. Do we kind of go mm -hmm. the extra mile like Jesus? And my answer to that, uh, Johnny, uh, we've never had this discussion. I wish we would have had it in your home when I was there in your living room. But my answer to that is no, I'm not 100% non-resistant. And I could be dead wrong on this. And I have been challenged on this recently as a believer. But as far as when it comes to defending innocent life or those uh, lives that are around me, I would be willing to to uh, resist evil. Um, mm -hmm. it, when it comes to me and being attacked personally, my faith as a Christian persecution, would I be willing to take a bullet for for the, the, the gospel? Absolutely. And would I resist somebody that says, you know, you have to recant your faith or else we're going to kill you? I don't believe mm -hmm. that I would. If it, was, if it was persecution, I would be willing to lay down my life for Christ. But um, that is not uh, something that I agree with 100% on the idea of non-resistance, even if it means standing there with my hands tied behind my back while I watch my wife or children get raped and beaten. And I just say, well, I'm just going to believe in God and put my faith in God. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not non-resistant if, if you, if you go to that extreme. I, I defer from, I think from my church on this, maybe, maybe not. I think a lot of us have different, uh, there's a lot of Mennonites in our church that would be non-resistant completely. And um, I respect them for their stance, but um, I don't think that we actually have that written into our statement of faith, if that is, or our article of faith as a, ch as a church. I don't think that we specifically touched on non-resistance. I have no idea where Patrick stands, but based off of the background in his video here and all of his semi-automatic rifles, I'm assuming that Patrick's not 100% non-resistance. What's, what's your stance on this? 
Well, the the first thing I would say is it would not fit into my articles of faith. It would not be a doctrinal statement because a a church cannot be non-resistant. That's an individual's action. So <clears throat> for me, uh, it's nothing that I'm going to require any individual to tell me that they believe in order to join the church. As far as an individual goes, I can tell you that Christianity is different from every other religion on earth. Christianity is the only religion where we are required to give our lives for those that do not believe the gospel. Every other religion is happy to take your life if you do not believe what they teach. And that makes Christianity very special. I am not a pacifist. I have no problem serving in the military. Uh, if I am uh, attacked, if my family's attacked, I'm going to defend them. I believe that is my role as a husband and a father uh, to protect and provide. Uh, with that being said, giving my life for the Lord and giving my life for the gospel, that's a no-brainer. I mean, that's right. easy. Let me tell you what, out of all the dumb things I've done in my life and all the the explaining I have to do when I stand before the good Lord Jesus, the best case scenario is that I go out a martyr's death because it's like, well, I got that one right. right. You know, <laughs> at, at least I finished strong. Yeah, you know, exactly. that one has always been. Um, <clears throat> That's one thing a lot of those, those Muslims have going for them when they blow themselves up. With yeah. The, yeah. With that, the bomb that on one's their back. Yeah, that one's yeah, a little different, but yeah, I get the point. That one's always been, you know, a no-brainer uh, for me. With that being said, I can tell you this, Johnny. Um, I'm 41 years old. I grew up in an area of New Jersey where we were quick to throw punches. And I've been in a lot of knockdown, drag-out fights in my life. And... I was 21 years old the last time I struck a man, and I came to Christ just shortly after that, and I'm proud to say that it's been over 20 years since I've raised my hands in violence against another human being, um, and I hope that I can go to my grave in saying that, but with that said, I have no problem obviously with the verse about turning the other cheek, I've often wondered how that is applicable and across uh, if there are any lines. And that's a question that I've come to a lot. With that being said, I mean, you know, I'm a firearms instructor. I'm, I am a member, a proud member of two groups, my local church and the NRA. <laughs> and I have no problem stopping anybody that is looking to use uh, deadly force against my wife or kids or anybody else's. And I hope people don't think less of me because of that, you know, but anyway, I'm just but being quite honest. Quite frankly, you don't you. care anyways. Nope. If you want me not, to finish that statement. Not much. <laughs> you know, the, the way it works is I carry a gun every day of my life everywhere I go and I plan on dying without ever using it. In the same way, I have life insurance. I don't think I'm ever going to need it, you know, but I, I carry it just in case. And th there's probably coming a day in America. It's certainly, it's happening in North Korea. It's happening in Belarus. It happens in Cuba and 
it happens all over the world where people have to give their lives. And, you know, I've always struggled with that because one of my favorite things about the Israeli military is that on several pieces of their equipment written in Hebrew, it says never again. And as soon as they were able to become a Jewish state, you know, they decided that they will never have another Holocaust. And that is written, as far as I know, on every mounted 50 caliber machine gun in the Israeli Defense Force. Uh, it says never again. You know, and I've always, I've never had an issue with that. I've never thought less of them, uh, you know, because of that. Um, and. I, uh, beyond that, I, I honestly don't know. I have no problem getting, <laughs> getting punched in the face. I, it's happened many, many times in my life. You know, I can certainly take one more and not have to, uh, fight back. Uh, I think the line for me that is difficult is, uh, when the defenseless, those that are unable to defend themselves are attacked. You know, I have no problem um, stepping up and standing in between, uh, you know, um, uh, my wife, my children, Caleb's wife, Caleb's children. I'll tell you this. <clears throat> if someone came to do harm to Caleb's wife or children while he was not there, you can bet your ass that when Caleb got back, I would walk him to the south field of my farm and show him the hole that that man was buried in. <laughs> There's not a chance on earth that I'm going to stand there and say, because of my Christian convictions, I did not feel it appropriate to use force against the man that was about to harm your wife or children. And you're, that you're betting that you're betting truth. you're betting your donkey that's in the back pasture, right? That's what you're talking about. <laughs> you said the donkey. <laughs> yeah. The biblical word for the donkey. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I I just wanted this is we're definitely off on a rabbit trail. We got to wrap this thing that's up. That's all right. To, but no it's one's fun. watching anyhow, Caleb. We got <laughs> exactly. four listeners. What are the what do we care what we talk about? We're doing so, this because we enjoy it. <laughs> so you said something about the fact that you would be happy to serve in the military. And this is my understanding. Mm -hmm. And Johnny, if you're still listening, um, I probably got mm -hmm. some other um, Anabaptist friends or Mennonite, Hutterite, Amish, whatever friends on here that could could tell me how I'm getting this wrong. But one of the, one of the things that really set uh, the Anabaptists apart from other Christians early on is, was their strong stance on taking Jesus's wor words literally here. And I did look up, I did look up this verse and this really does set them aside from everyone else. And you certainly have to respect them for it. Um, so this is the the second mile verse that I was trying to butcher a little bit ago. So Matthew 5, 38 uh, and 39 says, you have heard it that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to restrain an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek turned turn the other to him also. So here we have something that Jesus says. It's very, very radical saying, hey, don't even restrain an evil person, but turn the other cheek. And so this, I, I do, I do think that Jesus was talking about this in the, in, in, in self-defense, in, in me being willing to turn my other cheek. It doesn't say to, to force your, your innocent children that are depending on you to turn the other cheek. Um, but the the way that this was taken was was very it was it was a very radical statement that Jesus made. This was not a popular thing for him to say. It's not a popular thing for him to say now, and it's not being applied in hardly any of the church at all. And so the the Mennonites uh, um, or the what 
the, the early Anabaptists um, said was they were being persecuted by the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And so they had the chance to fight back. I mean, they were literally being burned at the stake along with all kinds of other Protestants. Um, Patrick and I were talking about this earlier. Baptists and Anabaptists were the same for a while until a Baptist were like, well, we're not getting rebaptized. We're just <laughs> baptizing legitimately. So therefore we're Baptists rather than Anabaptists. Um, so a lot of a lot of the Protestant church came from this from this movement. And so the idea was we are going to believe in Jesus's words where we turn the, turn the other cheek. We're going to be 100% pacifist, nonviolent. And their reason for, and there was Hutterites and Mennonites that were lined up and 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 shot with firing squads or or uh, put in, in jail and they, and they uh, died in military prisons during uh, World War I, World War II because they wouldn't fight in the U.S. military. And... Uh, so they faced persecution here in the United States by the military, and and their their theology behind this was this two two kingdom approach, where they believed that they are not that they are not of a they're of a kingdom that's not of this world. And I think Patrick and I both agree with this mm -hmm. to a to a large extent, with the idea that our our king is not in this world. Our king is not Joe Biden. It was not mm -hmm. Donald Trump. Our king is Jesus. And so our kingdom is a kingdom that's yet to come. And so therefore they would not, they, they would not participate in any political affairs or anything to do with um, war or anything based off of this two kingdom approach. And now this is where it gets complicated because they took a, a sound biblical idea and, and hopefully I'm not being too hard on, on anybody that still adheres to this, but to me, this is where it gets complicated. You take a sound biblical idea of, of nonviolence when it comes to defending yourself. And then you combine that with another sound biblical idea of a two kingdom approach. And all of a sudden you end up with a very complex doctrine here that you have to stand on. And this has become a core belief that really sets, sets the Anabaptist people apart from anybody else. And that is you can't, you're, you're a pacifist through and through. You cannot defend yourself. You cannot defend your family. You cannot defend your country because you're of a, you're of a kingdom that's, that is yet to come. And are they right? I don't know. Maybe so. I certainly haven't. Uh, I haven't gone to that extreme, but it, it is a very, a very good example of what we believe and the core doctrines that we write for our church and how this affects our members. And there's people that have gone to their graves and died as Mennonites or Hutterites or Amish because they would not, they would not fight uh, in, you know, in the in the military based off of what somebody else's beliefs were. Go ahead. So something else you got to remember is that. <clears throat> they are mixing two different doctrines. Caleb, I would never go off and march and fight in a war for Christ. I would never do that because Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. If mm -hmm. it was, he would have called us to fight, but it's not. So we don't need to go and do that. I'm not looking to march off and fight in a war for Christ. I'm looking to do it for my country because I am a citizen and I have a duty. So it, it's different <clears throat> in that the Lord said, you're never to fight for me. You're never to harm people for me. You're never to kill anyone for me. There, It is incongruent with Christianity for me to try to spread the gospel and cause harm to another person. That, that never works out. And that's what right. set Christianity apart. Now, this is the other problem because you got to remember, Caleb, I am monotheistic. I am not one of those polytheistic guys that believes the Old Testament and the New Testament have two different gods. 
And the issue I run into is that all throughout the Old Testament, I see that there are three exceptions for taking life. And God is very clear about this all throughout the Old Testament. Number one was war. God gave the marching orders. Okay, number two was capital crimes, of which there were many, and God explicitly listed them, stating that this crime is a capital one. They are to be put to death, and here are the reasons why. Third one was self-defense. You are not charged with a capital crime if you use deadly force to stop someone who is about to kill you. Those three things are expressly talked about in the Old Testament. Because of that, it makes the statements that Jesus made in Matthew that you just quoted a little bit more complicated than just saying, okay, hands off of everything. Right. Because I hate to tell you, Jesus was the same God in the Old Testament that he was in the New Testament. I think Jesus was just trying to clarify some points. Well, and in in my in my mind, and of course, I, I I'm almost 100% convinced that I got some of this wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, I have no mm-hmm. confidence in, and like I said earlier on, my belief has no bearing on the truth. Mm-hmm. So take this with a grain of salt. But this is my this is my personal conviction and my my opinion on this is Jesus. He took something to another level where he says, you know, you've heard it said it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Mm-hmm. And, and I think he's speaking to the church here and he's saying, this isn't the church's job. No longer is it the Old Testament where government administration is run by, the by prophets and, and sure. by, yeah, by God's people. He's saying, you know what, let the render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's. The church, uh, you as the church, you don't need to avenge the blood of, of innocent lives. If the government wants to, I think the government still has the right to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean that the church can't allow individual members to, to hold government positions, including military positions? I honestly, I, I don't think that that's necessarily what Jesus was talking about, but I think mm-hmm. as Christians that we should realize that we're called above the old, the old way of doing things in this passage. I think it is very radical that Jesus is saying, you've heard it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I say, instead for you to love your enemy if they you know pray for them to persecute you if they if they ask you to go one mile go with them two miles if they if they steal your coat take you know give them your, their cloak your cloak as well if they strike one cheek turn the other cheek he continues to go on to say we're not supposed to be fighting for our own good but does that mean that we can't defend ourselves mm-hmm. i don't i don't think it's for us to avenge or, or find vengeance and i certainly don't think that it's for us to be defend and for me personally i feel like i have the right as a, as a citizen as of this country, um, I have the right to defend myself. But as a Christian, is that God's plan for me to defend myself if that meant taking another's life? And I've said it this way before. If I have a hothead staring me down the barrel of a gun and he's not saved, and I know if I die right now where, where I'm going to end up, why do, I, where do, why do I pull a trigger on him you know, where, where his eternal destiny is in jeopardy and mine is not? Why, why, would, I, why would I cloud my... my moral compass and and my walk with God by choosing to take somebody else's life. If it's just my life at risk, what is my life? Mm -hmm. My life really as a Christian, I should have already laid it down. So, so should I be willing to take up the sword to defend my own life? I don't, I do think that what Jesus said was radical enough that I don't know that it's right for Christians to do self-defense. I mean, that's my personal conviction. I could be wrong on this, but for me to, to defend myself as a Christian, just to protect my life, um, that's questionable. Now, 
if my life and other people's lives are in jeopardy together at the same time, then am I going to defend my, my life while I'm defending somebody else? That gets complicated. I'm not sure. But am I willing to use self-defense to defend others? Absolutely. I would be. And maybe I'm wrong. And, and hey, guys, get on here. I've got lots of Mennonite friends. Get on here in the comments or hit me up and tell me tell me how I'm, how I'm wrong in this. Because it is something that I, I find what Jesus said to be very uncomfortable here. He says something extremely radical, and it's not—it's not—it's not doesn't set nice with me or many other people, and I think that it's—it's it's worth looking into. I mean, I love the fact that some some Christians can look at. I mean, <laughs> some of these guys, they, Jesus or Paul says, "Greet one another with a holy kiss," and I have a lot of friends that they kiss each other in church mm-hmm. because they want to take Jesus's words so literally. There's a lot of Mennonites sure. that kiss each other in church, and I'm like, "It was Paul." Gross. Paul. Isn't that what that. I said? No, you said Jesus. I'm sorry. I meant Paul. Which is fine. I'm not <laughs> saying Jesus, Paul. that. It's- yeah, I'm not confused. saying that it's you can write it off. You know, um, here's the I, here's somebody the just said for me to check out Hacksaw Ridge. I've heard that that's a really good movie on a guy that was nonviolent. I think he was a medic or something like that, and he chose he was. not. He to, was a yeah. Seventh Day Adventist, and it was a great movie. Okay, the problem I've is Caleb. It. Well, and it, you can read the book too. The problem is uh, that one guy was surrounded by tens of thousands of, of soldiers that did have guns, and if they went to that island. You know, without them, the Japanese would have been happy to kill him. Okay, here's one of the problems, Caleb. If we're going to say totally hands off, no violence anyhow, then who are we leaving law enforcement up to? Non-Christians. Yeah, that's what we're saying. The logical conclusion to that argument is that only the lost can be in law enforcement. Only those with no moral compass can defend what's right. You got it. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, I mean, if I, we're talking I about Christianity, right. can we say we all agree that it's never okay for me to use force, to use deadly force, along with trying to further the gospel? And for that matter, anytime I can avoid it, we all agree I should. Right. That's really not the question we're getting down to. The, the question we're getting down to is when we, of no fault of our own, are challenged and are threatened, what do we do? Well, and Jesus' statement did not specifically say using deadly force. Um, mm-hmm. This guy, Peter Powers, on here. Peter, thanks for chiming in. He said, you know, Peter was defending the innocent when he w- was defending Jesus and Jesus rebuked him. This this is a time when Peter did not use deadly force. He chopped Jesus, or chopped okay. the guy's ear off. Hold on. For, for okay. us yeah, to chalk up that event and say that that was why Jesus wasn't okay with it. Jesus wasn't okay with it because he had to go to the cross. Right. Peter was messing up the timeline. Peter couldn't have been like, no, 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 we're going to stop this and we're, we're going to pick this up in a couple weeks. No, it had to be that day. Right. It wasn't that. It wasn't just that Peter well, and took Jesus out a also, sword. <laughs> Jesus tried Jesus to defend Jesus. told them to get a sword. Jesus right. said, sell your extra stuff and take a sword with you. Why? To fillet their fish when they caught it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Obviously, so, their life could have been threatened in some manner. So Jesus' statement here, I'm going to read this again in Matthew. He actually doesn't say, don't use deadly force. He says, I, but I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whosoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn mm-hmm. the other to him also. So this right. idea of non-resistance, I, I know guys that that have taken this um, this approach with 
medical doctors. Okay, so they will not mm -hmm. go to the med go to anybody that's a medical doctor, even if it means their own children die. Mm -hmm. um, and so they say, well, you can only you can only put your faith in God, or you can put your faith in yep. the medical establishment. You can't do both. And as mm -hmm. soon as you put your faith in the medical establishment, you no longer have faith in God. Therefore, we're going to let our children die because we're not going to do that. And the same exact argument is made for mm -hmm. trusting God with your with defending yourself. But here's the thing. Jesus is saying not to even resist an evil person. He doesn't say not to use deadly force against them. So that means that when you put up a chain link fence around your business and you resist somebody that's trying to break in and steal, when you lock your doors at night, that you're resisting evil. There was early uh, Mennonites, the host uh, there's a fam famous story that I remember reading years ago about a Hostetler family that was back East during the, uh, the, the wars with the Indians, the settlers, and, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't lock their doors at night. They lived in a cabin and the, and the Indians would come and set fire to their cabin. And and there was, I, I, I should go back and read the story, but I just remember this was one of their convictions. They could not resist evil, even to the point of locking their own door to keep their children safe at night. And I'm like, man, that the logical conclusion of that is don't even live in a house. You know, don't, there's, there's mm -hmm. all kinds of precautions that we take to protect our children, our wives, our, you know, our families against evil. And so if you, if you take something that Jesus says here and you take it, maybe I think out of context or take it to an extreme, then all of a sudden you no longer can do anything to protect your, your children, your family. If a bad guy comes along, you just let him have his heyday with your family and you stand there and say, I'm a Christian. So I'm just going to let you do all kinds of evil things to my wife and children. And I'm just going to watch mm -hmm. and I'm going to pray and I'm going to hope the best, which to me is, is the most, I mean, I would hate to stand before God and God's like, Hey, I gave you those beautiful daughters and that wife of yours to protect and that was your God-given roles to protect them. And you stood there and you didn't do your job and you allowed somebody to take advantage of them in that way. How dare you when I gave them to you? Mm -hmm. You know, I would hate to stand yeah. to God and, before God and give that that answer. So I really, I, oh yeah, go ahead. Let's not forget whose daughters they actually right. are. They're gods. Mm -hmm. Entrusted to me for a short period of time. So anyways, I could be way, way off on all this and I'm confident that I'm wrong on some of it, but that's, you know, a good example of why what we believe is actually important because me as a Christian, if I just go to a church that tells me how I have to believe on this or that, pretty soon I could find myself in a compromising situation where I don't have convictions of my own. I have no idea what to do. Do I just do what the church says? Do I let my children die because I go to a church that says you can't take them to the doctor and I believe that I can't have faith in God? And next thing you know, I'm sitting in jail and I can't take care of the rest of my children because, you know, because I'm being charged with uh, manslaughter and neglecting my children. And, and I know families that this has happened to families right, right near us there in Grand Junction that this happened to. And so this mm -hmm. is, this is, you know, a, a prime example of, I think, where you have to take your convictions from God's word and not from those that are around you. Anyways, I don't know if we got off on a long enough rabbit trail there or not, but. Well, I think we've been going for two hours. So yeah, I think I am just going to say to go. <laughs> Good night, and I'm going to go eat some ice cream in bed and fall asleep and try to get up early tomorrow and go to work. All right. It's a fun discussion. Yep. Thank all you right, all for joining night. us. We will be back next Sunday. Have a good week.